Welcome to Living Downstream, the environmental justice podcast. I'm your host, Steve Mencher. Today, how the air around the port of Oakland, California, makes people sick, and how pollution put communities at great risk during the pandemic. Diesel exhaust, the black smoke coming out of buses, trucks, trains, and ships, is the number one toxic air pollutant in California. Chemicals in diesel pollution can cause cancer, harm the reproductive system, and aggravate or cause asthma. New research shows that West Oakland, California, a neighborhood surrounded by freeways and bordered by the Port of Oakland, suffers from far more than its fair share of this toxic pollution. So said a report from the Pacific Institute, an environmental nonprofit focusing on water issues, nearly two decades ago. On this episode of Living Downstream, what's changed and what hasn't in West Oakland's diesel death zone. Sarah Holtz brings us the story. In West Oakland, a street called Mandela Parkway begins at the top of the neighborhood and dead ends at the port, one of the busiest in the nation. Along the final block, there are truck lots and scrap metal yards, homeless encampments, and one community garden. On a warm Saturday afternoon in May, I drive over to the garden to meet Margaret Gordon and her family. Everyone calls her Miss Margaret, so I will too. Just beyond the garden's raised beds of basil and lettuce are the headquarters of Miss Margaret's organization, the West Oakland Environmental Indicators Project. More about that later. Her family has gathered on the grass for a celebration of three lives. My two brothers and my father had died from some, something in relationship to the environment. My father worked at the shipyard for many, many years and uh, he had cancer. My younger brother had a form of cancer and my other brother, my middle brother, died from heat stroke and being homeless living up on the freeway. West Oakland Environmental Indicators Project, or WEEP for short, also stands in the shadow of the freeway. The memorial celebration coincides with the birthday of Miss Margaret's late father, and it's infused with unlikely optimism. Miss Margaret's youngest relatives bounce up and down in an inflatable castle, Food and drinks are abundant, and many folks at the party are also celebrating their recent COVID vaccines. Miss Margaret introduces me to the friends and colleagues gathered around her. This is Sarah. She's doing the story about us in NPR. As I meet more of Miss Margaret's relatives, I learn that many were native Oaklanders who have since moved away. Some left the city for better jobs. Others blame the air pollution. The fact is, West Oakland is a neighborhood encircled by industry. Residential streets are bordered on all sides by a massive metal processing facility. Cement and steel companies, the headquarters of the local utility district, a postal distribution center, and the Port of Oakland. The air pollution is the invisible byproduct you can't see. You don't have to see it to believe it, though. It gets in the back of your throat. Miss Margaret has lived in West Oakland since 1992. 
the third generation in her family to settle here. For years, her neighborhood group has been fighting to improve air quality in the area, which consistently ranks among the worst in the nation for ozone and particle pollution. Miss Margaret tells me she suffers from asthma. According to the Alameda County Health Department, West Oaklanders are hospitalized for asthma attacks nearly twice as often as those living elsewhere in the county. Life expectancy in West Oakland is six years shorter than the county average due to cumulative health risks. When I first meet Miss Margaret, she casually drops into the conversation that she's been an activist for the better part of her life. I got to tell you, I've been doing some kind of social justice work since I was about 15. I'm 74 years old, so I've been, I know, I know what to do. I press her to tell me more the next time we meet. She describes the community organizing her parents led back in the 1960s, when she was growing up in San Francisco. During that time, the state was developing the Bay Area Rapid Transit System, or BART. BART and California Transportation Department simultaneously was building the BART system and building Highway 280. And my parents' home was in the middle between both of them. The BART system and the highway department were speculating at taking people's houses. So it was my job to go knock on doors until there's a meeting at my parents' house. Miss Margaret's parents had moved to San Francisco as part of the great migration of African Americans from southern states. They were among the first of their generation to own a home with help from the GI Bill. Her friends and family organized to integrate the Bay Area. There was still widespread segregation here in the 1960s. Activism has always been embedded in her family. My brothers were members of the Black Panthers. But my father had always been part of being part of the union. So that was part of my opening and being understanding social justice. The powerful matriarchs in Miss Margaret's family were another major influence. Several were riveters at Bethlehem Steel. I had two aunts and a grandmother who were very strong and engaged in the community. They ran the church or the neighborhood. They had a business. They ran the household. And so I was born into a family of women who had leadership skills. She later married a member of the ILWU, the International Longshore and Warehouse Union. The union was an important force in Bay Area life especially in the mid-20th century, when the legendary Harry Bridges was the union president. After having her first child, Miss Margaret went to college and learned about the history of redlining and other forms of discrimination. All of these factors propelled her into activism. I take a class of sociology that I was able to really get the understanding about systemic racism, slowly but surely. Miss Margaret now lives off 7th Street in Oakland, a commercial corridor that was once celebrated as the Harlem of the West. Today, it's overrun by truck traffic from the port. A BART train runs above her apartment building, leaving behind a metallic hum with each crossing. I take a drive with Miss Margaret around the neighborhood to see the concentric circles of industry that keep West Oakland shrouded in ozone and particle pollution. It's trucks, trains, ships, cargo handling equipment, East Bay mud, bark is impact to West Oakland, and the three freeways. One of the biggest problems here is how close the trucks are to people's homes, with nothing to filter out diesel emissions. 
See these houses right here? You go see these houses right here. None of these houses have indoor filtration. Miss Margaret and I keep driving farther into the port complex, and right away I notice a stark contrast between the potholes and blight of West Oakland's residential streets and the brand new asphalt and bike lanes along the port's roads. All this, what you see right now, is new infrastructure. When they build this here, the community didn't get the same thing. These new lights, new sidewalks. We didn't get none of this new infrastructure that they got out here. We pass a long line of trucks, and Miss Margaret shows me the stickers that indicate whether a truck is electric or diesel-fueled. The electric trucks are needles in a diesel haystack. We have maybe, maybe, maybe 25 electric trucks inside of all this. As we turn right to dodge the truck traffic, West Oakland's residential grid begins. Right here, you're going to start seeing people living, people living all the way back. When Miss Margaret moved to West Oakland in the early 90s, housing was still relatively affordable here. Not anymore. Rents are slipping out of reach for the city's shrinking working class and creative communities. The tech industry has spilled over from San Francisco and the South Bay, displacing thousands of longtime residents in Oakland. Miss Margaret shows me some of West Oakland's newest housing developments. Some of them boast an environmental certification called LEED. That stands for Leadership in Energy and Environmental Design. Miss Margaret is not impressed. I want you to see also how the city allowed housing to be built here. Make a left turn up here. See this new building right there? None of these houses have filtration in them. These are million dollar houses down here. Solar power and got a LEED certification. And LEED certification don't consider the need for indoor filtration because it takes up so much energy. But that's how the city operates. Just beyond these brand new townhouses is a massive encampment where unhoused people live. Freight trucks jockey back and forth along this block. You got new housing, you got all these poor people living in campus and, uh, and tents. And then we have a park that the kids come on here and play soccer and shit in. You can't see it from the freeway. I suppose I should tell you where I come from with all of this. I grew up in Oakland, but seven miles and two freeways from West Oakland. As a kid, I was only aware of West Oakland because we'd sometimes take the BART from that station into San Francisco. Anything I saw of the neighborhood was through a train window or the backseat of a car. Now I live a mile and a half from West Oakland, and I know what Miss Margaret means when she says you can't see this from the freeway. You can't have the visceral experience of breathing the West Oakland air unless you're on street level. Back when I was a kid, Miss Margaret was busy building an organization. West Oakland Environmental Indicators Project has created a bridge between the community and the scientific, political, and regulatory worlds. Miss Margaret is generous with her time, showing journalists like me what's going on here. And often, she finds herself having to translate the words of scientists and policymakers for her neighbors. Even for the city of Oakland, we have to bridge a gap for them. To the first thing, we bring, bring a study to them, and they, the first thing we have heard but what are we going to do with it? No vision of understanding, seeing the public health issue into a policy issue for making change around indoor-outdoor air quality. In the early 2000s, West Oakland Environmental Indicators Project got its name when it identified 84 indicators of air pollution by collaborating with residents, scientists, and the U.S. EPA Air District. 
One of their most important indicators is particle pollution, or particulate matter, the hazardous solids and liquids floating in the air. WEEP also measures factors like ground-level ozone, a toxic gas, as well as carbon monoxide and nitrogen dioxide. They've learned how to use these environmental indicators as data they could leverage with city and state policymakers, who only seemed interested in listening to people who had money. There's a lot of people whose money, you know, is invested in polluting us. That's WEEP's co-founder, Brian Beveridge. Brian moved to West Oakland in 1999 after being priced out of San Francisco during the dot-com bubble. In 2003, he attended a community meeting to address the pollution caused by a nearby Baker's Yeast plant. He'd heard his neighbors complaining about asthma for a while. He spoke up during that meeting and has been working with Miss Margaret ever since. I meet Brian at Middle Harbor Shoreline Park in West Oakland. During the pandemic, access to green space has been vital. I live by Lake Merritt, a tidal lagoon next to downtown that was a saving grace during quarantine. If you live near the port, Middle Harbor is your closest green space. It's bordered on three sides by the port and was built on landfill. Trucks, cranes, and small vehicles called yard goats blare a constant soundtrack of sirens and beeps. I ask Brian to describe the park. It's a park that was a gift to the community, which is often what happens. Parks become the community benefit. When somebody wants to do a giant development that will probably cause more harm than good to the neighborhood, it's the Port of Oakland completely surrounds us. We have, this, we have the bay on one side, and the other three sides are the Port of Oakland's logistics center with containers piled up in everywhere you look. On weekdays, the park is flanked by a queue of trucks. Brian is passionate but measured when he speaks about his work. He often defers to residents who have lived in West Oakland for longer than he has, like Miss Margaret. He tells me about a turning point in her local leadership. A decade ago, we got a non-industry, non-development, an ordinary person, essentially, in Miss Margaret Gordon, my co-director, who was appointed to the Port Commission. And it was a watershed moment, because suddenly there was somebody going, I understand the economic need here, but what are we going to do for the people? And uh, she was considered disruptive by some, um, but most of us consider that a, a good disruption when we challenge these institutions to adjust their thinking. When Miss Margaret and I ride around the neighborhood, I ask her what serving on the Port Commission was like. Oh, it, it was a cultural shock. Especially being a black woman, too, it was really a cultural shock. That experience has given Miss Margaret a leg up when dealing with the city. Brian, who's white, is quick to point out that West Oakland's historically black community carries the collective trauma of a government that has repeatedly neglected its best interests. Too often the regulators had come to the neighborhood and said, we've, we've analyzed you and we know your problem and we figured out there's this thing and we're going to fix it and here's how we're going to do it. Isn't that wonderful? You know, we have to remember this is, a, this is a community, a population of people that still remember the Tuskegee experiments. And so you come to the neighborhood and say, well, we're going to do this process. People respond with, who asked you? Who are you? Why do you think that's what we need you to fix for us? If you're the government with all these resources, 
maybe that toxic soil over there isn't the problem you should fix for us. You know, maybe it's an oppressive police system. You know, maybe it's a fact that a lot of people are too poor and don't have a job. Maybe one of the things we think is important is what you should do. Over the years, Miss Margaret has received invitations to speak at events across the country, and she's learned to be wary of people trying to tokenize her voice. We was able to really show them that we are not part of anything you check in the box. It was a deeper analysis and understanding of engagement. The question is, how do we learn to trust each other so we can work together? Well, the question is backwards. It's how do we work together so we can learn to trust each other? Part of building trust is identifying and raising up the voices of health experts. This is Will Barrett, the Director of Clean Air Advocacy with the American Lung Association in California. Will's organization has an online tool called the Air Pollution Report Card. I typed in Miss Margaret's zip code and saw that it received two Fs, one for ozone and the other for particle pollution. Will explains what these failing grades mean. What that means is really when we're looking at ozone pollution, ozone pollution forms when emissions from tailpipes, trucks, ships, and other sources mix in the atmosphere on, on warm, sunny days. And the health impacts of ozone can, can range from minor irritation to asthma attacks, cardiovascular challenges, and even premature death. Similar, we're seeing too many unhealthy days for particle pollution. And really, particle pollution is a, a significant problem in terms of what it can do to our health. Again, that can range from irritation to asthma attacks, uh, heart attacks and strokes, premature death in severe cases, and then breathing particle pollution can cause lung cancer as well. So we know it's a, a very damaging pollutant. West Oakland Environmental Indicators Project has deep ties with West Oakland Health Center, the only medical facility in the neighborhood. Asthma is by far their most widespread issue. The data that I have from the pharmacy, they spend more money on asthma medicine uh, than anything else. Of course, COVID has disproportionately plagued West Oakland, too, pointing up the health disparities that affect low-income communities of color throughout the country. In the spring of 2020, a Harvard study found a strong correlation between long-term exposure to fine particulate air pollution and COVID death rates. I asked Will about this research. We know that communities of color have been especially hard hit by COVID, and we also know that increased levels of air pollution can, can actually increase your risk for infection and actually worsen underlying health conditions. So when we're looking at the pandemic and we know that the burdens have fallen inequitably across the country, we also know that the research is starting to show us that in areas where the air pollution is, is higher, uh, that can be linked with worse outcomes when people do get sick with COVID. Miss Margaret has been working from home throughout the pandemic. And even before the first outbreak, she managed her asthma by avoiding walking anywhere near the port. Back at Middle Harbor Park, I meet up with an environmental scientist who uses the park as his running route. Jimmy O'Day is a senior vehicles analyst at the Union of Concerned Scientists, one of WEEP's partner organizations. As a West Oaklander, his work has become both political and personal. My work as a scientist uh, researching new technologies for battery and fuel cells was squarely motivated by the desire to have better air quality. 
and now working at it on a policy perspective, you know, I feel like is same end goal in mind, just uh, different different strategy perhaps. And so yeah, I guess I, I'm very personally invested in improving the air quality, not only in West Oakland but really everywhere that people have bad air. Shallow. Jimmy and I walk to the fence that divides the park from the cargo yard, where containers are piled 20 high. There's been an unprecedented backup of trucks during the pandemic. People are ordering more things online than ever, so imports are at an all-time high. If there was ever a time to remind us about the importance of the cargo industry, it's this past year. After decades of work by people like Miss Margaret, there's a decent solution on the horizon. The scientific, health, and labor communities have come together to support the advanced clean truck rule. Here again is Jimmy O'Day. So last summer, California passed a first-of-its-kind policy requiring a given fraction of truck sales to be electric starting in 2024. The advanced clean truck rule sets an important precedent for emissions and public health standards. New York, New Jersey, Oregon, and Washington are working to adopt similar regulations. Still, when I brought up the rule with Brian, he insisted that it falls short of addressing West Oakland's health crisis. Nothing that allows diesel emissions for another day is strict enough for what's going on in West Oakland. When it comes to communities that are most impacted by diesel pollution, you can't overlook the truckers who spend hours breathing in diesel fumes every day you'd think truckers would be first in line to electrify their vehicles. There's also a long-term financial benefit of moving away from diesel. But the purchase cost up front is extremely high. My name is Bill Abudi. I'm with AB Trucking in Oakland, California. Miss Margaret has been working with Bill for years. He owns a compound at the port and has been in the trucking business since 1988. 60 trucking companies use Bill's facility for parking, food, and supplies. His company fills a need for truckers and the community. Vehicle operators can find what they need at his lot. And in turn, they don't have to clog up the neighborhood streets. Bill first met Miss Margaret at a public meeting. I was sitting in the back of the room, and they were talking about a trucking issue, and what they were saying was not correct. And I just couldn't hold it in. I just blurred out something. And I said, this is not correct. And so the person next to me said, what's not correct? And how do you know? I says, well, I'm a trucker. And this is why. And so I wouldn't raise my hand because it was a hostile environment to me at the time. And that person turned out to be Miss Margaret. And she raised her hand. And she told them that what they're saying is wrong. And they said, well, how do you know, Miss Margaret? Well, I'm sitting next to a trucker. And so ever since then, I was outed. They invited me up, and I just laid it out to them, and I explained to them. So pieces started to fit for them. And it was like, they're not our enemy. We need to help them so they can help us. Miss Margaret admits that she hadn't seriously considered the trucker's perspective before this conversation. I had to recognize the vulnerability, the impact of the truckers. And that was one of the things that he brought to the table that I didn't see in the beginning. Because I just thought the truck drivers were part of a bigger scope of 
industry. But as time went on, we learned how the, how government took away truck drivers being under the umbrella of the industry that they serve, made them independent operators that has taken away their ability to negotiate, negotiate salary, conditions. That's one of the things that Bill taught us. After enduring truck traffic in their neighborhood for decades, residents were hesitant to engage in dialogue with the trucking community. Bill was in a unique position to bridge the divide. There was a lot of friction between truckers and community. And so when I started attending these meetings, I'm like, wow, the the highest level of pollution was the proximity and we're sitting on top of the engine. And so I started to think of it from the community standpoint. It's like, wow, this is a human issue. And once they started to realize that, uh, because when they were talking about the proximity, you know, they were thinking, well, it's killing us. And I would go, okay, well, what is it doing to the human being inside that truck? On a Monday afternoon in mid-April, Bill and his dog Sam show me around the yard. Parking lot for the Bay Bridge Trail. He walks me over to a giant steel beam. The city awarded Bill 194,000 pounds of steel from the original Bay Bridge to incorporate into his development. His eyes crinkle as he tells me about how visitors will be able to connect to a piece of industrial history at his yard. Next, we walk past a trucker parked by Bill's office, waiting for his appointment at the port. I ask Bill how the COVID delays have impacted his business. You know, any anytime there's a hiccup, this COVID-19 that's causing all this backlog, we get affected, so it is a bit of a headache. These days, driving around Oakland or any other city, Amazon Prime delivery trucks feel like a permanent presence. Next-day delivery became essential to many when we were sheltering in place, and those goods have to come through somewhere. Uh, the two-day is great, and now this year they're trying to go to one day, so God help us. Bill points out which trucks in the yard are electric, and I ask him how he feels about the transition to zero emissions. So we're agnostic to all of that. We just want to make sure that whatever technology comes, we're ready for it. And so if we have to electrify, great. We have lots of good infrastructure here because it's all brand new. Um, and we'll be able to get the electricity that we need. If there's hydrogen, we'll build the station. And obviously there's not a lot of trucks and it's like a chicken and egg scenario. And so somebody's got to have the infrastructure so that way people can feel comfortable uh, buying a hydrogen truck or buying an electric truck because they know they can plug in. Just like Miss Margaret, Bill has acted as a conduit between business and community. And he tells me that some of those people are one in the same here in West Oakland. We're on the same page with the community. Uh, it is our community. We're the business side, residential side. A fifth of these truckers that work at the port live in Oakland zip codes. Bill and I finish our conversation in the cab of one of his cargo trucks. I drove around the neighborhood with Miss Margaret for about an hour. And now that I'm in the yard with Bill, I start to feel the pollution in the back of my throat, just as she had said. I can only imagine what it feels like if you're spending each workday sitting on top of a diesel engine. Oakland's so-called diesel death zone has become just as much a labor issue as it is an environmental one. As the state developed the truck rule, 
labor groups pointed to the financial burden it puts on drivers. Companies classify their drivers as independent contractors, even though they operate like employees. This way, they can offload the cost of electrification onto workers. But when I talk to Bill, he tells me truckers choose to be independent. If there's one thing both sides agree on, it's that the cost to electrify is prohibitive. Drivers who cannot afford to switch to zero emissions technology are still breathing in diesel fumes day after day. At the same time, Miss Margaret and her neighbors are still living in a portside community dominated by diesel. Weep is focused on the electrification issue right now, but Miss Margaret and Brian's work is a balancing act. My main focus right right now is keeping West Oakland environment functioning. So there's like seven different things that we constantly juggling around. These days, she and Brian have Zoom meetings on the local, state, and national level from morning until night. She's planning a Women of Environmental Justice road tour. When I ask Brian about the new attention to environmental justice among politicians and policymakers, he says it's about time. But it's even now, which is somewhat shocking, that these words, words like environmental justice, are getting into the national administrative uh, language. It's finally getting into the script for the speeches. That's kind of hard to take, knowing what we've known for how long we've known it, and how long people have struggled trying to get justice. Brian sees the new spotlight on environmental justice as a side effect of new attention to the emergency of climate change. Unfortunately, the timetables are getting shorter and shorter because we keep, we keep realizing the timetable for global climate change is getting shorter and shorter. Uh, not because pollution has been killing people for generations. As I often say, our work for local health improvements is really riding on the coattails of climate change. It has to be very personal for folks to just want to stay involved. And for Miss Margaret, with 16 grandkids and a two-year-old great-grandchild, it is personal. At the memorial celebration, air pollution keeps coming up in conversation whether it's her cousin's allergies or a passing reference to the truck traffic in the neighborhood. I speak to Miss Margaret's sister-in-law for a while. Her name is Janice Hunter. So yesterday made a year that my husband passed, Margaret and Paulette's baby brother. So I really wanted to do something to mark the first year, you know, of his passing. They're also honoring Miss Margaret's late father and her other brother, who passed in 2013. Uh, and actually, that's my son in the blue hat. Janice introduces me to some of the relatives who made it out for the memorial. These are all 97% our family relatives, whether it's nieces, nephews, cousins, grandchildren. And then in addition, we have some um, of our community partners and friends of, of West Oakland Environmental Indicators. Um, that has really been with us for a long time and really kind of bring it together. Janice started volunteering with WEEP years ago and eventually got a job with Green Action for Health and Environmental Justice. In 2013, she had the chance to accompany Miss Margaret to the White House, where her sister-in-law received the Champions of Change Award. 
Miss Margaret's decades of work in this environmental justice struggle fit perfectly with the movement's emphasis on empowering fenceline communities. She's shown what can happen when these communities aren't just present, they're at the head of the table, which should be the case for any social justice fight. She's proven that power sharing is essential to making change. Organizational power, but also economic power. As long as we have capitalism, we're going to have a struggle. People start talking about climate change. They also got to connect the environmental justice. You cannot separate the two. Both of them are doing harm to not just only to the planet, but also to the people. At the end of the memorial celebration, I catch up with Miss Margaret, who's surrounded by friends and colleagues. She's a force of nature. I line up to fill my plate with tacos, and looking around the party, I count four generations of Miss Margaret's family, celebrating the lives of those who aren't here. They've gathered by this community garden, which bears fresh vegetables, despite the toxic air and the industrial wasteland spreading in every direction. Sarah Holtz reported, produced, and mixed this episode of Living Downstream, West Oakland's Diesel Death Zone. It was produced in collaboration with Northern California Public Media, Mensch Media, and Oakland Side, a digital news outlet that describes its work as amplifying community voices, sharing the power of real information, and investigating systems, not just symptoms. Music for this episode includes... Just Below the Surface, Susie B., Waterborne, Hyena, Collecting Samples, War, and Algae Tender, all from Blue Dot Sessions and used under Creative Commons license. The Living Downstream theme music is by David Shulman. Special thanks to Fern Unatornwarangoon of the Environmental Defense Fund, Andrea Vidarve of the People's Collective for Environmental Justice, Patricio Portillo of the Natural Resources Defense Council, Sam Appel of the Blue-Green Alliance, and Anthony Victoria and Christina Hartquist of Sunstone Strategies. Also, we'll link to West Oakland Environmental Indicators Project on our website. I'm your host and senior producer, Steve Mencher, and I was also the story editor for this episode. Chris Lee is radio executive producer, and Darren Lachelle is president and CEO of Northern California Public Media. Follow or subscribe to Living Downstream on Apple Podcasts, comment and rate it there, and find it wherever you get your podcasts. Lately, a lot of you have been connecting via Spotify, so thanks for that. You'll also find more about us on NPR One. And visit our website, norcalpublicmedia.org living. Living Downstream thanks our sponsors who make this podcast possible. A list is available at norcalpublicmedia.org. This week, we're releasing a pair of episodes to respond to the increased interest among our audience in stories about environmental justice. Write to us today and tell us what you think. That email address is living at norcalpublicmedia.org. And we've got a few slots for stories to be told this summer and in September, so let us know what's happening in your community by writing to us at living at norcalpublicmedia.org.